you have these explode technological explosions where so much innovation happens, and then we need to kind of simplify it again and and um, agree on standards, agree on best practices. Um, people, you know, you just need the time also for people to become more familiar with it and things like that. Um, and and then as a result, then you, you know, winners kind of come out of that pack. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today I'm talking to Ed Freifogel and he does a lot of work with geocoding and he has a company called Open Cage Data. So we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about his work today with geocoding, the challenges around it and the use cases for it. And then more generally we're going to be talking about geospatial, we're going to be talking about mapping and, and what the future might look like. I really hope you enjoy the interview. Hi Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with me today. It's much appreciated. I realize you're a busy person and you're busy because you're running a company called Open Cage Data. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is Ed Freifogel and I'm one of the founders of, of Open Cage. We provide a geocoding API. So uh, we do forward and reverse geocoding. Geocoding is the process whereby you you take, uh, you convert between addresses or, or geographic, human readable geographic information to coordinates, so longitude and latitude. Uh, forward geocoding is when you take an address or a place name and turn it into the coordinates, and reverse geocoding is the opposite when you have the coordinates and you convert that into the address or, or other human understandable information about that location. It's really interesting that you. The, the that you talk about it as being human understandable and, and machine understandable, but that, that's really what it is. An address is just a way that like the human readable system for geocoding locations on earth, right? Yeah, that's right. So humans have, uh, have devised all kinds of ways to talk about places. Um, so one of the big challenges that we have is if I ask you, where are you right now? You know, you might say, oh, I mean, so, so I, I, for example, I'm sitting at my, in my house in Barcelona. So I could say, oh, I'm in, uh, you know, I could give you my full address. I could say my postcode. I could say I'm in Barcelona. I could say I'm in Spain. I could say I'm in Europe. Um, Actually, one of the delightful, um, let's say, topics we get to deal with is things like like, uh, disputes about location. So I could say I'm in Spain or I could say I'm in the Republic of Catalonia. Um, I could say I'm in the EU. I could say I'm on Earth. All of these things are correct. Um, and so we have all kinds of different ways to talk about location. And, and those are great because humans are really good at understanding those and, and want to have a rich kind of syntax for depending on whether you want to be hyper granular or hyper uh, broad. Um, but, um, but for computers, of course, that's not, not so good, not so useful. Um, and, and computers kind of struggle with that kind of free text. So, uh, you know, computers t- typically use longitude and latitude, which are hyper precise. So we need to have a way to convert back and forth between the two. And that's what our API lets people do. One of the key differentiators of our service versus others is that we do this using open data. So primarily data sets like OpenStreetMap, which covers the whole world, but also lots of other ones that are, um, you know, perhaps more country specific or region specific and things like that. So happy to go into lots of detail on that. 
Yeah, it seems to me if you're using open, like lots of different data sets in, in open data sets, that you might run into a few translation problems there. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you face using several different data sets and, and how you solve them? Well, I, I guess for some context. So, um, you know, open data is kind of a, a, a rapidly growing topic uh, over the last couple of years. I mean, OpenStreetMap was founded um, in 2004, so this year it'll be 15 years old. Um, and, and that's just probably one of the, the best known open uh, geo data set. There are many others. Um, and so this is an area where all kinds of things are happening. New, new data is being released from governmental bodies. Data is being collected via crowdsourcing. Um, on the software side, all kinds of things are happening around this to make this data easy to use. But, but so it can be a big challenge kind of to stay on top of that, uh, what all is happening, because it's moving so quickly. And so as a result, a lot of people get... Um, you know, they just want simplicity. They want they want a way. You know, I need I have some addresses. How do I turn them into coordinates? And they don't want to have to first you know get deep into it. And so what we're trying to do is provide a very simple interface to enable software developers to do that um, at, at high volume. Um, so um, and then so so we have a couple challenges there. One challenge is just behind the scenes we're aggregating all these different data sets and all these different. Uh, open source geocoder. So you kind of have a, a, a DevOps challenge just of kind of managing all that. Um, I guess what, one, of the, one of the things that we always think about is that, um, and one trap that software developers often fall into is that building things is a lot of fun and it's easy. The, the real challenge is maintaining things. And that's definitely the case when you talk about geo because the world is constantly changing. Changing, so so it's not enough to say, okay, I you know I got the data and let, let me build some software to interact with the data, and I'm done. That's definitely not the case because you know constantly new places are being created, all the places are being changed, the names of places are changing, postcodes are changing, all this kind of thing. Um, so uh, a good example of that is OpenStreetMap. The OpenStreetMap database, the global database, now has you know many many millions of of edits every single day. So it really is kind of a living beast that, that people need to stay on top of. I can definitely I can definitely see that being a challenge. That sort of having a living data set, a data set that's constantly evolving and trying to keep up to date with that. I think just in terms of indexing or knowing what's searchable and you know how things are changing over time and maybe even who's changing them and how they're weighted, how those changes are weighted and, and that kind of thing. I can definitely see that being a, a massive challenge. But I think you touched on a really interesting point before. You said that people just want this thing to work. You know that geo geospatial is just a part of what they're doing. You know, they don't have time to, to sit down and reinvent the wheel and build this, this machinery around geocoding because geocoding is probably just a little part of what they're doing, like a very important part, no doubt, but it's, it's just a small part of, of what they're actually doing in terms of their application. And I think that sums up a lot of what's happening in geospatial in general is that it's integrated into lots of different things. You know, it's, it's not, it's not. We're not doing geospatial for the sake of geospatial. We're doing it because it helps us out here. It adds value to different data sets all over the place. That that is that is absolutely the case. So, um, I mean, one of the big trends in the industry, of course, is that uh, whereas it used to be the geo industry was a few very highly trained experts who would you know work on their their you know special GIS software, um, and and those people certainly still exist. Now the reality is. Everyone is walking around with a supercomputer in their pocket that knows where they are at all times. So as a result of that, 
the we have a huge explosion in the amount of data and not just in the amount of data, but the amount of data that has a location context in some way, shape or form, um, because these devices are moving all the time. And on the one hand, it's, of course, smartphones. On the other hand, it's also tracking devices on vehicles and things like that. These, um, you know, the cost of these devices and the, it, has, it keeps coming down. The functionality in terms of battery life and power consumption and all these kind of things keeps improving. So um, more and more of these devices are constantly out there gathering data with the location context. If we get back to what we we're saying at the, right at the start, that idea of translation between machine and human, that's becoming more and more important, I take it. You know, if we've got more devices, they're collecting information, geolocation in their own language, you know, in their machine language. And we need that sort of tra translation over to something humans can understand if we're going to actually make use of that data. Well, that's exactly right. Because um, so on the one hand, we're collecting all this data or generating all this data. Um, and then on the other hand, we have software developers who are trying to utilize that data in their applications in whatever way, shape or form, be that, um, you know, showing where a vehicle is on a map, be it, be it in the context of games, be it in the um, applying it to other data sets. So, you know, you collect a, a, someone's address, a customer's address, and then at some point you want to display that on a map. So you need to go through the process of converting between um, the address into coordinates. So the, the end result is you have more and more software developers who are do not have particularly um, detailed geo background, and yet they still want to make use of this data. Um, and so at some point they need they need tools to 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 help them do that. And um, you know of course there are people who who enjoy geo as a as a hobby or as an interest or because of the, their professional work. Um, you know, and I fall into that category and probably. Um, you know, you can tell us more about that as people like to look at maps and, and um, reminisce about where they were or where they're going to go and all these kinds of things. So um, there is a subset of people who really enjoy geo and want to get deep into geo and really understand it and maybe, you know, start contributing to OpenStreetMap and map their neighborhood. And, and those people are great. That's the core of the community. But around that, you have a whole universe of people who basically just want to build their application, who just want to analyze their data, um, and, and geo is only a piece of that, a tiny piece of that. So these people need tools to help them do that um, because, uh, and, and one area that I think, um, you know, as I said, because open data is so new and, and moving so quickly and uh, the tools are changing a lot and improving a lot, uh, the amount of data that's available is, is growing. It, it can be very difficult for these, let's say, kind of casual geo developers to keep a handle on it. And so our service, uh, we, we, help, we hope to provide a very straightforward and simple tool that they can use to get all the benefits of open data, um, but also to have the benefits of kind of an enterprise level reliable service um, that, that they can depend on and they, they can accomplish whatever tasks they're trying to accomplish. Um, and so and that, so that leads nicely on to the next question, which would, would be, what, what are the, some of the, the typical use cases you see for this uh, um, translation service between machine and, and human readable addresses? Right. So, so as I said, there, there are two, um, two ways. There's forward geocoding, which is you have an address and you want to know the coordinates. Um, so uh, that common use case is you've, you've somehow collected addresses from, from your customers, from your users, from, from some database. And, and now you want to um, do some analysis on that, uh, be it displayed on a map, be it um, 
you know, maybe break that address into component pieces and try to understand, okay, how many customers do I have in region A or region B, things like that. Um, so that's, that's probably a very common um, use case on the forward side. On the reverse geocoding side, the challenge is mainly uh, we have these devices that are recording longitude and latitude, and now we want to know where that is and get information about that location. And we and we do, it's not just that we want to get it. Um, you know, as I as I said, humans have a have a very rich uh, vocabulary of how we talk about places. So, um, if you give me a longitude and latitude, um, you might want to know the the exact precise address. But you might also be interested in getting that in a kind of a useful hierarchy of you know continent, country, state, uh, you know sub-state, uh, whatever that is, uh, town, neighborhood, postal code, all these kinds of things. Um, and one of the challenges there, of course, is that different parts of the world do this very differently. Some uh, some countries have uh, very very precise addresses and postcodes that you know can pinpoint your your address down to you know 100 meters or whatever. Other parts of the world have no addresses at all, and so um, so that's one of the big challenges we deal with. And 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 actually, you know, it's, it's not just even about human-made addresses. I mean, people want to know bodies of water, oceans, things like that. Um, so so there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot to and and of course, um, when I say humans have a rich vocabulary for talking about location. Um, you know, we have this hierarchy of places, which may be more or less comprehensive in different parts of the world. But of course, humans speak many different human languages. So we do that in, in all kinds of different languages as well. It just occurred to me when you're talking about that, that, uh, you know, in longitude and latitude, we can be very, very, very precise. We can come down to millimeter accuracy. I guess it's, we could just keep going if we wanted to just keep adding more digits, if that would make sense. That, that's another question. But it seems to me in terms of addressing um, we come down to almost like street level house property and that's it. Could you imagine a time where we'll be able to address people in a, you know, so I'm on the street at this number in my house, standing in front of my desk? Yes, definitely. Uh, um, so, so, uh, so you're correct. That's certainly possible with longitude and latitude just by adding more decimals. Um, there, there are a whole bunch of systems that are kind of working on that challenge um, of what you described of, of more precise location. Um, so there are various uh, one of the, one one well known one is what three words that um, has been getting some traction over the last couple of years. There are a couple other ones as well. And Google has one called um, Plus Codes. Um, so each of these systems has their their pros and cons, um, and they try to well, and they're also addressing slightly different things. But um, it's interesting because I, another reason this has become so big is uh, delivery services. So now with e-commerce, more and more uh, things need to be delivered to different places. So you know, if a if a in logistics, if a driver, you know, if you give someone an address, but that's a, a big building. And they, you know, if the driver wastes five minutes trying to find the entrance, you know, that, that adds up and costs a lot of money. So that's one of the reasons a lot of these services have kind of come about now um, to, to try to improve logistics. And, and of course, you have people who, for whatever, you know, historic reason, they live at an address that's hard to find. Or, you know, sometimes if you live at a corner, you know, you live at the corner of two streets and your address is on one street. But... It's not marked there. It's marked on the other street, and so the driver can't find it or whatever. Um, you have all kinds of crazy stories like this, um, or, or you know, a house and a farm out in the middle of nowhere. Um, 
things like that. Um, and actually, one of the services that we provide on our API is what we call annotations. So when you send us coordinates or, or an address, we we give you back the opposite, but then we also add a bunch of data. So for example, we add the three words code, we add things like what time zone is this, lots of information about my country, like what currency did they use there, um, all this kind of thing, so that you can, you as a software developer, um, you don't need to, to, to spend the time and effort to do that. Um, and, and many of these calculations, I mean, it's not difficult to figure out, given the longitude and latitude, which, which time zone is it. But, um, you know, as I said, now we have more and more of these casual geo developers who, you know, something that for a geo expert is a, is a, you know, a 10 minute project for this other guy, you know, if you, if you're not familiar with the, the pleasure and pain of time zones, you know, that can really, we can waste a lot of time trying to figure all that out and understand the implications and all that kind of stuff. And I think uh, as software developers, they need all the help help they can get because consumers are expecting more and more, especially in terms of, of geo, like of geospatial, of location. We're expecting that things are, are seamless. We're expecting that everything we can do outside in terms of geolocation and routing and navigation that we can do inside, we're expecting that my phone you know, knows where I am and switches the time zone accordingly and tells me what language and tells me what currency and all that kind of thing. We're expecting all of that information that's attached to location just to be there. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, in that regard, of course, we need to give full credit to uh, to our friends at Google for you know I think they with with the 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 ubiquity of Google Maps and the prevalence of Google Maps they set a very high bar of course of, of what how people expect to interact with a, a digital location service um, which um, doesn't mean it's perfect of course but but you're absolutely right that consumer consumer um, demands keep growing continually. Um, and, and we saw it when, for example, uh, a couple of years back when Apple Maps came out and people, you know, didn't find it, it got a lot of negative press because it wasn't, maybe it wasn't quite ready or, or there were a few examples that were, where it performed poorly. Um, and the thing is, if Apple Maps had come out, Apple Maps had come out just a few years before, you know, it would have been as, it would have been absolutely revolutionary. We forget how, how quickly the technology is moving. Um, and, and and this actually raises a good point because um, a lot of people, um, you know, as I said, full credit to our friends at Google, but there is one thing that's not good about Google, and that is that it's not open. Um, so that it's a proprietary system. If you want to use it as a developer, A, it's, it's fairly expensive, and B, you need to agree to their terms and conditions. And a lot of people don't want to do that or or they don't really want to share their data with Google. And so they think, well, let me use something like, let me use open data. Um, and they start digging into OpenStreetMap and, um, you know, they'll say, oh, well, OpenStreetMap, you know, doesn't yet have every single address in the world. You know, how can I use this? It's not good enough. It's not, it's not, um, I can't use it. And, and we're trying to help change that perspective by, A, providing kind of an enterprise level reliability around our service. But also what we're finding is that more and more, there are many, many use cases where open data is, is, uh, you know, more than good enough. Um, so uh, I can give you one example um, where uh, one of our customers was a, a a social service for kind of sharing sharing videos between people. So I make a video of myself and I and I post it, and I and and you can see the video, 
and they wanted they wanted to have some context so that you can see kind of where I am, right? But what we don't want is to have to show my exact address because then that kind of raises kind of privacy concerns. Um, so this is a case where they have the longitude and latitude of where I record the video, and then they want to convert that into a a locate let's say an address or a location description but not at a, at a hyper-level precision. They just want to say, oh, you know, Ed's in this neighborhood, in this town, so that you get some context, but we don't have really the, the, the privacy concerns. Um, and this is a use case where, where open data is, is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, and so we're, we're seeing, you know, and, and, and using something like Google in that case and, and paying Google's high prices, but also, um, you know, having to agree to their terms and conditions and things, would, would be way overkill. And, and, and so as a result, you know, right now, you know, we, we're seeing more and more use cases like this where, where we're able to meet their needs you know, perfectly at a very reasonable price. And, and um, as a result, they're able to rely on open data. And, and then the medium term, what we see is that as more and more companies are using open data, um, relying on open data, you know, they become more interested in like, oh, where does this data come from? How can we fix it when there are problems? Um, you know, how can we give back? How can we get involved in the community? Um, and, and so we see that kind of as a virtuous circle that, that, you know, step one, people use open data, then they learn about open data, then they start contributing to open data and depending on open data. And then hopefully they start um, giving back to the community so that open data gets better and then more people start using it and so on and so forth. So, so that's really kind of what we're doing. I think most people listening to this uh, podcast can can really relate to that around open data and, and data access and how important it is and how much we've gained with the likes of OpenStreetMap. What an amazing project it's been for us, really, for, for everyone in the community. But just getting back to what you said there about open data being good enough and what you're talking about there, I think, is in terms of accuracy. Like lots of times we don't need that hyper-accurate um, data or hyper-accurate location don't even need it maybe it's not even desirable because we want to protect things like privacy but it would be enough to say that hey it is in london and he shared a picture of something 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 so we, we we maybe don't want that accuracy but we we want all the stuff that comes with it we want that personalization we want that relationship to the place that's right and um well first of all i also don't want to create the wrong impression there are many parts of the world where OpenStreetMap and in, in specifically and open data in general are the um, is the best data available at any price. Um, and and there are other parts of the world like in Northern Europe where um, the OpenStreetMap communities have been very active for a long time, and and the data is very good and it, it's it's probably the the equal of commercial services. Um, and, I, and I think this is, a, this is a trap many engineers or technical people fall into into thinking. Um, you know, it's always, oh, I, I, it's going to get more precise and, and better and faster. And, and how can I improve the functionalities? And they think, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just all about like getting the data more and more precise, more and more precise. And they kind of miss the point of like, how is this data actually going to be used? Um, and so, you know, there are many, many use cases for which uh, OpenStreetMap and, and open data are, are absolutely um, more than adequate at, at, at even at the current level. Um, and, and that's kind of our customer base. I mean, I can give you another example on the, um, on the reverse geocoding side. One of our customers is a, a car rental service. And so in each car, they have a tracking device that's kind of recording 
you know, where the vehicle is. Um, and, you know, they want to, they, you know, because of maybe insurance reasons or things like that, when you rent the car, you know, you have to say, are you going to leave the country? So, for example, I live in Barcelona. We're not very far away from from France. And if I if I rent a car here, you know, I have to pay a bit more if I want to drive into France. Um, so, at some point, they need to determine did the car go to France or not. Um, and and you know, for someone with a with a, a GIS background, this is trivial. This is really really trivial, right? To say, okay, here are the boundaries of France. Uh, give me the coordinates. Let me see if any of those coordinates fell inside the boundaries of France. Um, th this is not a complex uh, uh, thing, but you know that's the use case that they need. You know, so they don't need a uh, all the overkill of a hyper complex system and and paying high prices for someone who's like, oh, we have we have ultra precise data that we're you know updating every single day or whatever. Yeah, that's way overkill for that use case. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think we're talking about uh, missing the point a bit in terms of the geospatial industry. Who are we building these things for? Who's going to use them? Who's it going to be relative to? What it, you know? What is good enough? What is precise enough? Instead of getting bogged down and and it has to be the best of the best of the best of the most accurate possible. Like maybe it's fine. Maybe it's even more desirable to have it like this, at, at this um, level of accuracy. Uh, you know, I know there are a lot of people working on the kind of indoor mapping space and, you know, how can I get it down to, to centimeter level accuracy? And I guess there are definitely use cases where that's highly valuable and needed and people are willing to pay for that type of service. But I think there are many, many other use cases where that's not needed at all. And so if they can get something that's, that meets their need at a highly affordable price, you know, the, the, there's a market for that. Yeah. Hey, um, we talked briefly before about um, machines and the greater number of computers out there in the world collecting this data. And I think that's going to lead to more and more tracking and tracking probably is going to be like, we're, we're going to say, okay, we'd like to track everyone all the time because we'd like to provide this sort of personalized experience. Do you think that privacy is going to win the day that we're going to say, hey, well, we don't actually want our experience to be that personalized. I don't really want Google to know that I'm standing in my home office in front of my computer right now. It's enough for them to know that I'm on this street. Where, where do you think the ball's going to land in terms of that in the future? Well, that's that's so hard to say because, um, you know, we, we have a couple pieces there. We have the, the technology and then we have kind of the... the um, the cultural piece of, of what is acceptable to track. And then you have the, um, you know, I guess, legal piece of what, what's, what's actually allowed to um, be done. I think, um, so certainly on the technological side, the, the technology keeps getting better and better. Um, the, the cost of tracking, the precision of tracking, um, the, uh, you know, it used to be, you only had fixed line internet. Now you, you always have high speed internet all the time. Um, be that via Wi-Fi, via, via mobile networks. Um, so uh, certainly the technological capability will be there to track things much more. Um, so now we move then into the cultural piece of, you know, what should we track? What, what, what do I want to track? Um, you know, you have cases where you say, oh, you know, this is horrible. We should never track people. You know, who, why, you know, we don't want to build systems that know where people are all the time. But then on the other hand, you have cases where someone says, oh, well, I want to know where my kid is. I want to know where my child is. Um, or, um, 
actually it's funny because one of our one of our customers is a they do it's a dog walking service so someone will will walk your dog for you if you're traveling or you're whatever you're at work or whatever and so they put a tracking device on the dog so that you can on their app see oh where is my dog right now you know is my dog at uh, you know do you go to park a or park b with the dog walker um so you know that's a use case that's where you think oh okay that kind of makes sense right um i think ultimately then there's another piece on that of course any type of cultural thing like that of like you know should you be able to know where your spouse is should you be able to know where your kid is um you know this this gets into culture and and cultures around the world have obviously very different perspectives on on that and what is acceptable and what is normal um and and the thing that might be normal in one place is is um you know abhorrent in another uh so i think ultimately the solutions will will have to be I think there are things that we can do on the technology side. I can remember, in, you may recall, there was this project about 10 years ago, or, or maybe even longer now, um, from Yahoo, this service called Fire Eagle, that was attempting to, it was, it was way ahead of its time. But the idea was that you would, you would have one service that would be kind of, I think they called it a location broker. So you would feed your location information into that. And then you could, you know, with some very easily understandable kind of levers and dials, say, you know, this service, I want to always, it should know exactly where I am. This service, I just wanted to know what country I'm in. This service, and, and you can, giving consumers, you know, a, a, a control over who gets this information and at what level of granularity. There are a lot of challenges there with that in terms of usability and, uh, you know, do people really understand what information they're sharing and who's getting it and what it means. Um, I think one good thing is, you know, not just with location privacy, but with this topic of online privacy, be it through GDPR or be it all the stuff with Facebook or whatever, obviously it's become a, a mainstream issue over the last couple of years. And I don't think we've solved it, but at least now we're we're having the discussion about it as, as societies. Um, and I think ultimately that will be reflected in kind of legal uh, ramifications. And, you know, GDPR is, is one, um, example of that already but you know cultural things move very slowly it takes a long time for people to as a, as a society to understand new technologies understand the implications of those new technologies and so i really think this is going to be you know a journey and you know something we measure kind of in generational time frames i think you're absolutely right there and i'm i'm a strong believer in the idea that we in the geospatial industry, people that work with maps, uh, GIS professionals, we have a big job ahead of us in terms of communicating what we actually do and how it fits into things and making sure that we take the user with us. I think we're really, really, really good at building um, networks and building applications and building systems and coming up with great ideas of things we can do. But I think we haven't been very good at sort of communicating those ideas out to the end user. Hey, this will help you because of, and really looking at them and saying, what's the need here? Because technology is, seems to be running away from, from most of us, really. Well, I, I think the tech, obviously the technology will keep getting better um, and more powerful. They would, but if you look at some of the companies that have had major success over the last couple of years, I mean, a good one to, to study is Apple. And, you know, the app, Apple had this huge breakthrough with the iPhone. It, it wasn't because of any particular amazing technology on the iPhone. It was because they made, you know, the first person, first company that made a smartphone simple to use. 
you know, one button, the, the concepts of apps was very clear. Um, they, they had an app store where the apps had to be, have to be approved so that you have some level of quality control. You, um, and it just works. It just works. And, and so as a result, you know, they're now one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, and I think we need companies and organizations and, and thinkers who are going to apply that kind of concept to the challenge of privacy, of how can we create interfaces and tools around location data, around other types of data um, that are going to be easy enough for consumers to understand, to, to, to interact with, to, um, you know, to, to, so it just works. Yeah, of course, of course, and that's why and that's why it's so difficult for people to solve. Hey, I've just got a couple more questions before we uh, have to say goodbye to each other. I can see that we're slowly but surely running out of time. Um, I was wondering if you had some insights to like what's the biggest thing or the the biggest challenge facing your industry at the moment, or maybe within the next five years. What what things are you thinking? Can you see on the horizon? Think, oh, that's going to be difficult to solve. Hmm. Well, I, I, I think this issue of, of technical complexity is, you know, so there are so many things now that are possible and that's led to a huge explosion in, um, in people innovating in the space. I mean, if you look at a space like, like indoor mapping, you know, there are so many startups now working on this with all kinds of different technological solutions and, you know, using some of them using beacons, some of them using, uh, you know, visual recognition, all, all kinds of different ways to try to try to do indoor mapping. And the end result is this a very, very cluttered and, and crowded field. And, you know, when I, when I talk to people about it, they're like, it, it's overwhelming. There's too much choice and it's too hard to understand. And it's, and so I think we need to, you know, it, it, you have these explode technological explosions where so much innovation happens, and then we need to kind of simplify it again. And, and um, agree on standards, agree on best practices. Um, people, you know, you just need the time also for people to become more familiar with it and things like that. Um, and, and then as a result, then you, you know, winners kind of come out of that pack. But I think right now we're in a period of, we're still in, you know, not just indoor mapping, but if you look at um, data visualization, there are all these companies now that will help you take your data and put them on a map uh, and, and, and draw insights from them. Um, and and not small companies. I mean, these are these are companies that have you know raised big funding and things like that. But I just think there's it, it's a, it's too cluttered of a space. People get lost. Um, you know, the the person who says, okay, I have some data, I want to understand it, they're overwhelmed with offerings right now. And uh, you know, then it's probably the same around the concepts like like augmented reality and things like that. It's there's just too, there's so much happening. Um, and, and now I think it needs to tip back into a, a it, that level of innovation will keep happening, but we need to agree on some standards and some, some best practices and, and some, some clear winners need to emerge, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think probably in, we maybe even, in, we don't even need to agree on the standards in terms of file formats and APIs and things like that. But I think, um, if you look at Google maps, for example, what they did for the consumer, for the everyday person, was say, hey, this is possible. This map can be fast, it can move around, and you can do these things there. And by doing that, they really set the standard for everybody else because they were the, they were the first to do it, and they were the clear winner. Like even in terms of the Makeda projection, 
that popped up all over the place. And I wouldn't mind betting that a lot of that was because of we were so used to seeing it on the standard web map, which was Google for a long time. So they really set the standards and they forced everybody else who was making web maps to really lift their performance level and service level. I, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, clearly that was the watershed moment. I, I mean, I can remember, um, you know, I can remember back in 2005, 2006, when, when Google Maps came out. Actually, I had a, uh, I, I was living in London at the time and I started a, uh, a company that we did real estate search where the, the key feature on day one when we launched was simply, we can put the properties on the map. You know, we can put pins on the map. I mean, this sounds absurd today, but that was that was clearly a revolution at the time. It was a complete uh, user experience breakthrough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty amazing how quickly things are moving. Or, um, I, I went to a presentation a couple of months ago, and someone put up a slide. I guess I so I guess it was last year in 2018, and they put up a slide showing a picture of the very first iPhone when that came out and it came out in 2007, you know, like, I can't believe that this was only 11 years ago, you know, that, that, and now everyone has a, an amazing map of the world in their pocket at all times, and not just a map, but aerial images, um, you know, and now increasingly, you know, things like you can see real-time traffic, you can see, you know, what, how long is it going to take for my bus to get here? If I, you know, public transport, all these kinds of things. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal how quickly that has come about. I agree. And think of terms of navigation. Um, every summer, so I, I live in Denmark with my family, and every summer we drive south for you know summer holidays. And increasingly, we don't even use our GPS in the car. I just put the phone on the dashboard. Hey, Google, take me to this address here. It does the geocoding on the fly, gives us a, a, a route which way to go and tells us about traffic updates and you take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you get all that for free. It's the other thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's absolutely, I mean, we, we probably give away a little bit in terms of privacy, I would imagine, but the point is that it's possible and it's re and it's accessible. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's really, um, it really is phenomenal. And, and honestly, I, I think in many ways that we're still just at the beginning because I think right now, you know, anytime there's a new technology, a, a technological change, the, the the human instinct is just kind of, you know, you, you use the technology new technology, but you still kind of do it the old way. So a good example is when the internet first came out, we kind of took the newspapers and, you know, made web pages that kind of looked like newspapers and kind of, you know, basically we took that content and just stuck it onto pages. And even, even in the terminology we use, we described a page, right? And now increasingly, you know, as a, as a new generation comes through and they aren't stuck in the cultural models of the past and, and, and they're native to the new technology, they start envisioning completely new ways to do things and completely new ways to connect all these tools. And, and I think with location, we're, we're only entering that phase now where you have truly, uh, you know, digitally native location tools. Like, I mean, the idea of having a map, of course the map is a powerful tool, but it's still basically, okay, we're taking the paper map and now we're sticking it on a digital screen and you can kind of move it around. But as we get into being able to layer more data on top of that and things like that, we're, we're starting to create truly new experiences. Um, and, and that's really what gets me excited about the industry. Um, but, you know, there's a long way to go. It, 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 it's, I, 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 it's a mixed thing where, like, on the one hand, it's so exciting 
of all the cool new things that are possible. You know, like I said, now we start talking about things like augmented reality and, and all this kind of stuff. It's so exciting that it's possible. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, I see that we need to we need to make sure the underlying infrastructure is is there and solid and can be depended upon, and that um, you know software developers and and end consumers can understand it and use it. Ed, this has been a truly an enlightening conversation for me. I really enjoyed it, and I'm confident that the people listening to this podcast have also really enjoyed hearing your thoughts about about the future, about the geospatial industry. It's been really great. Before we say goodbye, where can we go to learn more about you and your work? Right. So anyone who's interested in geocoding should, of course, check out our service. That's at opencagedata.com. For me personally, um, they can I, uh, check out my webpage, which is fryfogel.com. That's F-R-E-Y-F-O-G-L-E.com. And um, likewise, anyone can ping me on Twitter, where I'm, I'm pretty active. Um, and my, my Twitter handle is also fryfogel, F-R-E-Y-F-O-G-L-E. So, um, yeah, anyone out there who's, who's interested in geocoding, interested in geo stuff, please get in touch. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. And thanks a lot for having me on the show. You are more than welcome. Thanks for coming along. My pleasure. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and I really want to thank you for listening to the show today. It's much appreciated. As always, full transcripts of these episodes are available at mapscaping.com, and you are more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. On Facebook and Twitter, it's Mapscaping, and on Instagram, it's map underscore view. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks very much, and we'll talk soon.